Oh, it is December, and I'm looking around at some of you, and I can see you still got some food coma on you. Yeah, others of you bruised and beaten from that most sacred of holiday traditions, Black Friday. Who all went Black Friday shopping? You know you can do that online now, right? don't have to do it. You don't have to. I think it's, like I said, it's just a tradition. We go because we've, because we've always done it. And that's what this time of year is all about. It's about traditions. Hi, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Ararat. It's good to see you guys here. I'm oftentimes down in the Fredericksburg campus where Pastor Todd is right now. Hey, Fredericksburg campus. Hey, Pastor Todd, how you doing? And uh, uh, Pastor Andrew is actually out of town visiting some family. So I get the pleasure of being here with you guys today and to get to talk about Christmas traditions, among other things. You know, we've got Christmas trees and Christmas lights we got to hang up. And we've got, uh, let's see, ugly sweaters we have to put on. That's a tradition. We have Holiday parties we have to go to. We have the tradition of your relatives coming to stay with you and never leaving. We've got that tradition. That's what it's all about. And uh, it's, it's, it's just jam-packed from, from Thanksgiving Day until Christmas Day. You're going a million miles an hour, right? And you just never seem to, to slow down. That, uh, that, that you're, you're putting together that Barbie dream house at 2 a.m., right, the day before Christmas. And you know your kids, though they can't get up for school on time, are going to be up at 5 a.m. to open up those presents. And there they are waiting for you with smiling faces saying, look how good I've been the last four weeks. Yes, yes, for the last four weeks you've earned that. So, uh, And it goes by really fast for adults. And despite that, it starts earlier every single year this year my kids and I we went to Lowe's because we wanted to get Halloween decorations and it's like the second week of October I think it was about October 10th October 11th somewhere around there so we walk into Lowe's the second week of October and all the Halloween decorations have been put away there's nothing you can't find a skeleton in the place and it's all Christmas decorations and all of a sudden my kids Forget about Halloween and candy. It's all about Christmas. It's like a trigger to them, I'm telling you. They're running home. They're, they're, they're putting together their lists, and they're ready for it to happen. And it, for them, for kids, it's just the opposite of adults, right? For kids, Christmas seems to take forever in coming. How many of you remember this as a kid? Let's play some of these. Look at these, some of these slides. How many remember one of these? You remember what this is? The... Oh, yeah. Raise your hand if you remember the Christmas wish book. Yeah, all of you under 30 are going, what is that thing? <laughs> For those of you who have never seen the J.C. Penney Sears Montgomery Ward's Christmas Dream Extravaganza book, this is the greatest selling book of all time after the Bible. <laughs> In addition, it's the only book that a kid will willingly pick up and read cover to cover every year. When I was a kid, it was 600 pages of glossy color consumer goodness. It was Amazon in print form. This thing would come out in like September, right? And you'd get it and you'd bring it home and poof, you'd put it right there on the desk. And you know what? 600 pages. As a kid, you knew exactly where the toys were. You could go boop right there, slam it right open, BB gun, got it. And you would start, uh, you'd start folding over pages, right? 
you'd start circling pictures of things, the Atari 2600 that you had to have, and you would heavily annotate it, right? You'd put notes on it, lest your parents didn't know, get the exact right one that you needed. So you'd, you'd put long series of notes, and you'd make sure that they saw it, and you'd leave it open on the kitchen table. You just, that, we, don't need the, we don't need that Bible anymore. We'll just put that over here. Here's the Sears catalog, and there's what I'll be worshiping for the next four weeks as a kid. You couldn't wait for Christmas to come. And if you were anything like me, the presents finally came and they were under the trees. I, full confession, I peaked. I, I, I became, I'm like Houdini opening up scotch tape off of a present, right? I could, I could take the whole thing out, put it together, look at it, play with it, put it back together, fold it, put it under the tree. You would have no idea that I had touched it. That's how good I was. As, and I was a sinner and I need forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> But in all seriousness, this time of year for me as a kid, and hopefully it was for you too as well, was a real magical time of year. You know, I mean, people just seemed to be nicer. And, and the food was in the air. There was just this sense in the air, and there was the, the snow. And, you know, even the, the, the television shows that you'd wait all year to see Christmas Carol, or It's a Wonderful Life, or Charlie Brown Christmas, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and, and you only had like three channels back then, right? And they showed these shows once a year. If you missed it, you got to wait a whole another year to see it. Now you can just, you can, you can watch Charlie Brown Thanksgiving in January if you want to. It doesn't even matter. But back then, it was a special time of year, and it only happened in December. And as a kid, we waited all year for it to happen. As an adult, something has happened. Something's changed, at least in my life, where it seems like I wake up one day, it's January 2nd, and the credit card bill is due. It just, I missed it. And so what I wanted to do when I, a few years back is, I said, I, I, I purposely have got to slow down this time of year. And if you work at a church, this is a busy time of year for you, so it can be really easy to miss it. And you're always going to be working on Christmas Day, so it, it, it can be hard to, to, to get into the spirit and to give it the, the reverence that it's due, that it should, it should engender in us. And so I said, I'm going to slow down. And what I want to do this year is try to get you all to maybe just take a breath um, before things get too hot and heavy and just slow down. And what I wanted to do today is introduce to some of you for the first time, others have probably heard of, but I'll just take a show of hands. How many people know what Advent is? Have celebrated Advent in a church sometime in their life? Right, so you've seen these candles before, right? Well, for about 15, 1,600 years, Christian churches have been celebrating Advent. And what Advent is, is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, to the birth of our Lord and Savior. And what churches will do, is once a week, they will light one of these candles, and each one of these candles symbolizes something different. Uh, there's the candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy, and the candle of love. And churches would uh, light one candle each week and talk about that topic for that one week. Now, we're Baptists, and we're highly efficient, so we're going to light all four of them today. <laughs> That's the way we roll. We're not like them Catholics. All right. All right, so the first candle we're going to talk about, and we'll light here in a second, is the candle of hope. But I want, to, I want us to enter into the Christmas story today, and maybe kind of an unusual part for some of you, but if you want to turn your Bibles to the first chapter of Luke, um, 
And we're going to get to uh, the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah here in a second. But let me give you some context. Uh, this time around the birth of Jesus and, and, and that we're going to talk about in this story with Zechariah and Elizabeth um, was known as the 400 years of silence or the 400 years of darkness. Why was it called that? Uh, in short, because it's been 400 years since the last prophet had said anything in the Old Testament. So for 400 years, what have they been doing? They've been waiting on the Messiah to come. Um, there were some things that had to happen before the Messiah could come, like the temple had to be rebuilt. You remember the Jews got taken into captivity in Babylon and after 70 years got released and they came back and they were allowed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And they had done that. Um, and they thought the last box is ticked, right? Cool. Messiah will be coming back any day now. We'll get rid of these... Uh, people who've got their boots on our neck and he will reign as the king and the Messiah and everything will be hunky-dory in the Jewish world. Well, 400 years and still nothing has happened. They've just got a different master now. And now it's, of course, Rome. Rome is, is telling them what to do and making their life generally unlivable. And they're still waiting on the Messiah. And it's easy to see after 400 years how you could start to lose hope. So let's look at the uh, first chapter of Luke in verse 11. Zechariah uh, is, is a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And um, his wife, Elizabeth, is also uh, is the daughter of a priest. And uh, Zechariah, it was his turn to go in into the holies and to offer sacrifice and to pray for the future of Israel. And so he's, he goes in there. And he's doing his thing, like the priests do. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Um, this is what always happens when an angel shows up. Nobody ever just looks at the angel and goes, oh, sweet, an angel's here. They're gripped with fear. Here's this, this creature standing in front of him. And Zechariah's in the altar. He's wondering if he's been huffing too much of the incense. Because here's this angel here. And he's gripped with fear, and the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to call him John. See, they'd been waiting for a long time, hoping to have a child. And they're in their 60s now, and it hasn't happened. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Wow. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or ferment a drink and will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So you've been waiting your entire adult life to have a child. And this angel shows up and says, I know it's been a long time, but guess what? It's time. And Zechariah's like, are you sure, man? I'm, I'm, I'm old and my wife is also not young. <laughs> 
but you're an angel, so, uh, uh, and you're the first one I've seen, so I'm, I'm going to believe you when you say I'm, we're going to have a kid, and thank you for picking out the name. That saves a lot of trouble right there, and wow, he's going he's gonna to be great. He's going to lead all these people back to Israel, and he's going to go before the Lord. He's going to have the power of Elijah. Why? He's like, man, I, I've got a five-star athlete as a stun. This is awesome. And what happens? Elizabeth gets pregnant and uh, has a child. Does anybody know whose cousin Elizabeth was? Mary's. So little do you know that that child uh, was born, was named John, and it was John, John the Baptist. And I get it. It's, it's easy to lose hope in this world. Um, you've been waiting for a long time, for whatever it is that you've been waiting for, and you've, you've faced one disappointing moment after another. Um, some of you have probably gone through uh, the pain of what it's like to wait to have a child, and that never happened in your life. Others have, um, have had children, but for some reason they've, they've gone away from the Lord, and you're just hoping that somehow they'll make their way back. Others of you have adult children living at home and you're just hoping that they'll move out one day. <laughs> or maybe you're hoping, you know, you'll find a way out of financial trouble or whatever it is or that God will show you what he wants you to do with your life. Maybe that's the kind of hope and I get it. It's, it's easy to let that hope get into our hearts where it shouldn't be and cause us great pain and suffering. And I know how we look to the world for hope. But the world's version of hope is not the version of hope that we're supposed to have as Christians. The world's version of hope is like wish fulfillment, like pie in the sky. Like, I, I, I hope the Cowboys will go to the Super Bowl. I know, I've been disappointed for a long time. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to happen. Or even if they did, it wouldn't, it wouldn't give us what we needed. So the world's version of hope is different than what we're supposed to see hope as a Christian. See, the world's version of a hope is based on things happening. For us, for Christians, hope is not found in the world. It's found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Scripture says, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When we hope in the Lord, he hears us. This is scripture. This is what God says. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will give you hope. I am the God that has fulfilled all my promises. Abraham and Sarah, 100 years old, told them they're going to have a baby. Guess what? They have a baby. Elizabeth, Zechariah, 60 years old, told them they're going to have a baby. Guess what? They have a baby. Promised you the Messiah. Guess what? That Messiah came. That Messiah died on the cross for us. That Messiah is going to come back. That's a promise we can bet on. That's a hope that we can have today. And that hope lives inside us as Christians. So for the next four weeks or so, 
Let's try to think about that kind of hope. Let's let that kind of hope live inside of us. Not wish fulfillment, but hope that is rooted in the promise of the one who always fulfills his promises, God. That's the kind of hope that we are supposed to have as Christians. So next we're going to light the candle of peace. And boom. When I think about peace, I try to conjure up an image in my mind of what peace would look like. Because I look around the world, and it's not a lot, I don't see a lot of that. So the, the quintessential moment in my life when I think about peace is I think about the, the nativity scene. And I think about how awesome that scene was, right? And you got, you got Mary and Joseph, and you got little eight-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus just laying in there in the manger. And you've got, you've got, um, you got the shepherds, and you've got the three wise men over here with their gifts. And, and you've got donkeys and goats and I don't know how this works out. Sometimes you got lions and camels. I don't know how they all happened. You, you don't have a little drummer boy, okay? No little, that's not in the Bible, and no mom with a newborn is going to want a little drummer boy showing up, okay? <laughs> Keep your gift. We don't need it. Thank you very much. We'll take the frankincense. We don't need the drum right now. But we got that moment. And for them, it wasn't peaceful either. I mean, their lives had been anything but peaceful, right? They had to get on a donkey. She's... Nine months pregnant, I can't even imagine that. My wife wouldn't even get in our Volvo at nine months pregnant. So he got to ride all the way to Bethlehem, the city of their birth, to be counted because that's what the Romans wanted. So their life wasn't peaceful. When they got there, of course, there's no room in the end. They got to find some place. It's crazy. But when I think about peaceful moments, I think about that one time in the nativity when it was Emmanuel, God with us. And in that moment, the world changed. And it's because of that moment that a few years ago, I decided to try and slow down this time of the year. And I'm not good at it. I'm not the kind of person that sits still for very long. But I heard Pastor Todd when he spoke to me. I, I swear he was speaking to me directly. I know that's probably what happened to you too. But he says, men, last week he says, in his, when Thanksgiving come around, I don't want you to separate yourselves from the family. You remember him talking about this? He says, don't go out to the garage and watch football by yourself or work on some sort of project. This is to be a family time, Brian. I want you to spend time with your family. And I'm like, okay, yes, Todd, I hear you. I'm, I'm going to be there. I, I promise you that I will, I will do what you say. And um, so we decided that we were all going to get up and spend the day together. And, and in order to make it as uh, uneventful a day as possible, uh, we got everything ready the night before. We're going to get early, go to bed early. Going to get in bed, 8.30. Everybody's going to go to sleep. We're going to wake up. We're all going to be happy. We're going to have some breakfast. We're going to cook some turkey, watch some football, do the stuff that you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving Day generally give thanks and have a good time doing it. So I say to my daughter, let the dogs out for the last time tonight. Let's, let's get into bed as I get into bed and pull the covers over my head. I hear screaming from my daughter coming from the other room. And I'm thinking, what happened, right? Did she get attacked by a skunk or something? I have no idea. I go running out there trying to figure out what's going on. And it's like the scene from a horror movie. My daughter was fine. I don't want to ruin the story here. But somehow, the dog has cut his paw open, 
her paw open and has tracked blood from one end of the house to the other end of the house. Any room that had carpeting in it now had bloody footprints in it. Somehow passed right by the laminate flooring, jumped over it right onto the carpeting. It was like a scene from Carrie. I mean, I, I, I thought, what is this, neck cut? What, what the heck is going on? I mean, there's blood everywhere. So this is my night, my peaceful night. I'm supposed to get to sleep early and wake up early and have a good day. I spent the next two hours championing bloody footprints out of my carpet. And then I spent the next day, another two hours, continuing to shampoo bloody footprints out of my carpet. So I get it. It's hard to find peace during this time of the year because there's just so much we want to do. And we look out there into this world and we think, well, this world has got no peace to offer me. And that's right. It doesn't have any peace to offer you. It doesn't have any peace to offer you since the day that Adam and Eve took a bite out of that piece of fruit in the garden. The world has not known peace. Nothing has changed and nothing will change until Christ comes back. That's the world we live in. But peace does exist or it should exist. And let me explain what the Bible means when it talks of peace. These aren't my words, but just read along on the screen. Shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. The webbing together of human, God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way it ought to be. All of our desires met. All of our natural gifts being fruitfully employed. Joy in the world. All of our needs met. Both physical and spiritual needs met. Man, that's the way it should be. But we know that's not the way it is. My wife and I like to watch uh, this, this show on Netflix called The Crown. Anybody like to watch The Crown? Anybody have seen it? Men, raise your hand. I know you're lying. Come on. Thank you. Thank you for being a brave man, sir. I appreciate that. I watched The Crown. I admit it. Season three, awesome. Spoiler alert. Plug yours if you don't want to hear this, okay? Well, it's history, so it's not really a spoiler alert. But <laughs> Prince Philip is um, the queen's husband, very stiff upper lip guy. And um, he's had a pretty amazing life so far, but um, he's sitting... During that time watching television in July 1969, when the Americans were going to go to the moon for the first time. And he's glued to the events that are happening then in America. He is stuck. He cannot stop watching the television. He watches from the time that that, the rocket takes off to the time it lands on the moon till they get back on the shuttle and come all the way back home. And he's just awestruck at what human beings are able to do when they set their minds to it. And he thinks, man, if I could just accomplish something like that, I would finally know this peace inside of me I've been looking for. I, I just can't 
seem to be satisfied with the things of this world. And so he starts doing everything he can to sort of recapture his youth, and he just spirals into this midlife crisis. And, you know, he's exercising. He's trying to get back in shape. He's trying to go after new pursuits. He's trying to learn more. He's trying to, he's trying to capture that sense of accomplishment that will finally give him the peace that he's looking for. He even goes so far as to invite the actual astronauts to Buckingham Palace. And he sits them down there to ask him questions, thinking he's going to get some knowledge from them. He's going to get from them what the secret of life is. I don't know what he thinks he's going to get, but he sits them down there. And he starts asking them questions. He's like, uh, when you're on the moon... What were you thinking about? <laughs> and they're all like, uh, we had to get some rocks and put them in a sack. Get, get, well, actually, we were just thinking about how we're going to get home safe. Actually, it was 235,000 miles, a little bit scary on the moon. He's like, yes, 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 I understand that. But, 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 but what I was looking for was is, is something more a little philosophical. What were you thinking about? They have no idea what he's talking about. They're like, well, I don't know, dude. <laughs> we're just on the moon, really, seriously. We, we weren't really thinking about that. We have things that we had to do, procedures that we had to, to check through and, and then to get back home and get back alive. That's the only thing we were thinking about. And he was ultimately disappointed by their answer. And the amazing thing is they turn right around to him and they start asking the same questions. What's it like to do what you do? They think that maybe he's got the answer to the, to the meaning of life. They don't know. So he's really disappointed. And about this same time, the queen has hired a new pastor to serve the queen's court and her family. Because the old pastor was like 140 years old. And people were falling asleep, in his, including him, in his sermons. I mean, it was bad. So she's like, oh, about time we put this guy out to pasture. So she gets a new guy. He comes in. He's about my age. He's in his 50s. And he's full of energy, and he's a little bit quirky, but he's, he seems like he's going to be an awesome guy. And he goes to Prince Philip, and he says, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to start a spiritual retreat right here in Buckingham Grounds, and blah, blah, blah. And he goes on, and Prince Philip's like, go for it. Do whatever you want to do. See, what he wanted to do, this new pastor, was, was to bring people in um, who were also going through that time of their life where they were questioning themselves. They, they sort of hit a glass ceiling, you know? So he's going to bring in these these politicians and these uh, other pastors and priests and business people who had gone looking in the world and hadn't found what they wanted. And he was going to have this spiritual retreat where they could come in and reflect on the things of God. And his idea was that he would get them to reject the things of this world and start realizing that peace, just like hope, is found in a person. That person is Jesus Christ, and that person lives inside of you. So here's a piece of scripture I want you guys to think about. And it's from John chapter 14 and verse 27. Christ says, Peace I leave you with. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace, like hope, lives in us because Christ is in us. He lives in us as Christians. So they, they invite um, 
Prince Philip in to see what's going on here. They want him to come and see what he thinks about this spiritual retreat. And he comes in and he listens to these guys talk about how they're going through these crises and things like that and what they're trying to do to try and work their way out. And they say, so Prince Philip, what do you think about it? And he just gets just mad. He just dismisses the entire thing. He says, you, what you need to do is get off your backsides and quit whining. You need to go out and accomplish something like the astronauts have done. Then you will know achievement. Then you will know peace. And he scuffs and he runs out of there. And about two weeks later, he comes slinking back in with his tail between his legs and has to admit that they're right. That he is not going to find peace out there in the world in accomplishments, in money, in conquests. And he comes to the conclusion, and this is pretty amazing. This is a Hollywood movie, remember, and here's the writing, that he needs his faith back, the faith of his youth. And that, that faith in Jesus Christ will lead him to a peace that he could never find in the world. True story. 50 years this place has been open, and Prince Philip sees it as his greatest accomplishment is starting this, or being the patron of this group of men and women who meet to talk about spiritual things and to grow and to find peace not in the world, but in the person of Christ. So, I know it's hard to find peace this time of year, but that's the kind of peace I want us to try and find, to try and recapture. When things are getting disappointing, when you're, when you're, you're looking at the, the year that has just gone by, and you say, I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and, and the things I did accomplish aren't making me happy. Instead of looking at the laundry list of your failures and accomplishments, look at who you are in Christ. He's your savior and he lives inside of you. Now, the third candle we light is the candle of love. And the hard thing about preparing for this sermon, and especially the part on love, was, was settling on a verse to talk about in the New Testament about love. But the New Testament speaks so much about love because the New Testament is about Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't it be about love? But God led me to a verse, I'm going to share it with you. It might not be your favorite verse about love in the New Testament, but this is what the Holy Spirit gave me. And it's from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, not the Gospel of John, 1 John, later on in the, in the in Bible, but it'll be up here on the screen too as well. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know is that it did not know him, dear friends. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. God created us. He created us in his image, and he wants to make us like Christ. So when Christ comes back, we will be glorified, and we will be like Christ. Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, why did that have to happen? Because sometime between him creating human beings in his likeness and the time when we'll be glorified again, we messed the entire thing up. And the whole history of mankind 
has been about us rejecting God. Some people ask, well, why did, why did he even give us the, the choice? If he loved us that much, why didn't he just make us love him? Well, because you can't make somebody love you. Love has to be a choice. And so God had to give mankind free will to make that choice. And what did we do? We chose ourselves. Invariably, I don't care how good a person you are, until you've chosen God, you're choosing yourself. Everything you'll do as a, I'm a good person is doing it good for yourself and not for the one who created you, which is God and its sinful behavior. And that is the history of the world. God knew this. He knew we were going to mess it up, right? He knew we were going to mess it up. And so what did he do? He sent his son to come to live a blameless, sinless life on this earth. To take the sins of the world for every person who's ever lived or ever will live. To take those sins to take our punishment, which we deserve as human beings. He took them as a man and as God. He died on the cross in an excruciating way. He's going to rise again. He rose again, and he will come back again someday. And he did this all for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And this is who our God is. And that's how much he loves us. And that's not the world's love. This is God's love, and it's the greatest gift that man has ever known. It's the free gift of grace, and if we'll just accept it, one day when he comes back, this is how much he loves us, we will be like Christ. God created us to become pure spiritual beings one day, although with perfected bodies. He created us in such a way that only when we're like that, only when we're like Christ, will we be able to realize what it's like to experience God's pure love firsthand as we sit at the foot of the altar in the new creation, in new Eden. That's how much he loves us. And that should give us joy. And not the kind of joy that the world gives, but the kind of joy that is supposed to live inside of us as Christians. There's a difference between, you probably know this, but there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. It's based on people. It's based on events. Joy is eternal. Joy comes from God. You can be joyful during times of trial and tribulation. We know that from the New Testament. It's hard to be happy when, for instance, you're sitting in I-95 traffic. But you can be joyful. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you can do it. During those times of trouble, you can find joy in Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, he knew how the story ended. He knew what joy 
was awaiting for him at the other side of that when he was reconnected with the Father. When he was able to give us the opportunity by accepting the free gift of grace to join him one day. For that joy, he died the most painful death that man has ever known. Spiritually and physically. The Apostle Paul, we know, shipwrecked three times, beaten, left for dead, chased around the country, starving to death, sunburned, stuck in traffic on I-95. Paul says, I don't care. I count all of this as temporary sufferings because of the joy I know that is set before me, and that is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. And guess what? Like hope, peace, and love, joy comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lives inside of us. And, and listen, full confession, another one. This one a little bit more serious than the present unwrapping thing. I, I, I get it. This time of year is, is tough for a lot of people. It has been really tough for me at different seasons of my life. 19 years ago, today, I was in rehab, trying to get clean, trying to get sober. My life had been hell for several years. I was trying to figure things out, and I looked for peace in everything you can think of. I looked for joy and love in everything you can think of. Finally, I gave up, and I just got into the bottom of a bottle, and I didn't get out for a long, long time. And I lucked out somehow before I died and got myself into rehab. And it was tough. Christmas in rehab, real joyful time, let me tell you. But actually it was. Because for the first time in a long time, I was going to enjoy Christmas as a sober person as somebody with hope. Somebody who is finally just letting go and, and finding peace in something else. Knowing, not really knowing who it was, but knowing that there was a love that was permanent and fulfilling out there. Didn't know Christ yet. But I knew there was something that was beyond myself that was orchestrating events. 19 years later, I, I, I'm so blessed to be able to stand before you guys and to share my joy of being a Christian. I mean, as, 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 as nice as it was to finally be sober after so many years, it, it pales in comparison to the, the, the feeling of joy I had when Christ came and lived inside of me. That same spirit which raises Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. That should give us real joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Most of you sitting here have gotten that. You've got the salvation of your souls. And so your joy, Peter is telling us, it ought to be inexpressible and full of glory because that is what you found. 
I know it doesn't always feel glorious, but listen to what Peter or John says in chapter 16, 22. So you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. I'm going to call the band up right now. But I want you to know, Christ created us. He's in us. He came for us. He loves us. You, me, every one of us. He created us to love him. He created us a way back to him. He created us a way to be glorified one day. And he's created a way for us to be just like him. So over the next four weeks, 24 days, I want us to really think about hope, love, joy, and peace. And what those things really are, or rather, who those things really are. All these things, and anything good in the world, can be found in Jesus Christ and is eternal and lives inside of us. And I want us to keep coming back over the next four weeks, working up to Christmas. Don't take a week off. Invite people, but make sure you're coming as well. I want to leave you this last encouraging verse, and then we'll, we'll say goodbye for the day. It's for Hebrews. It's from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, and it says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now Christmas is drawing near, but the of course, that's not the day that the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about the day that Christ comes back. And the day that we'll know all these things in their most purest form. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us. That much is obvious. You've given us every clue that that is the case. You've given us that in human form when you sent your son to die on the cross for us. You are our peace. You are our everlasting joy. And you are our hope. But Lord, we know that there's people in our lives, people listening in their cars, people watching online, people in Fredericksburg, in the congregation there, who don't know you. And they may have some idea of what hope, joy, love, and peace means, but they don't really know it. They can't know it because they've never experienced it firsthand. They've never had the person of Christ and then the Holy Spirit come and live inside them. We pray for those people right now to stop trying to do life on their own. To stop attempting to find peace in a person or hope and happiness in happenings but they'll search for it and the eternal one whose promises are always fulfilled and whose prophecies will always come true and that person is Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and it's in his name that we pray Amen